Hey everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here and welcome to another wonderful issue of Masters. I'm so, so grateful that after this many years, I'm still having the opportunity to sit down with some wonderful, talented, smart, smart people. And I love smart people because I've never considered myself to be the smartest person in a room. And guess what? I don't have to be because I have friends like John DeJulius, who is joining us today. And we're doing this virtually, which is uh, different for me because for 22 years, I've always been doing masters face-to-face, but at least I get to see your face and we're doing this through our computers. You're, you're at home and where? In Cleveland? Yeah, Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. And uh, I looked it up. John, the first time that I sat down to interview you was in the year 2000. So 20 years ago, how did you become so smart 20 years ago? I don't know. I think you made me sound smart. I, I can't imagine what I could have shared with anyone 20 years ago. Man, you, I, you gotta, I apologize when people told me they, they heard me speak last year. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I always <laughs> feel like I'm smarter today than I was a year ago. And hopefully I'll feel like that a year from today. Yeah, my gosh, if we're not getting better, then we just need to hang it up and, and say goodbye. Let somebody else take over. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, but it, at least at this point in my career, I mean, there are 20-year-olds that can't keep up with me. You know, I'm 61 and, and, and they, oh, I'm so tired. I'm like, you're tired. You're brand new. How, why are you so tired? I'm 61. I'm still ready to go. So thank goodness, John, that we still have that momentum that we're excited to be able to share information with people. And the fact that you are not only a successful business owner, but you're out sharing your ideas. And I know speakers who are brilliant, brilliant on stage. And they talk about things like leadership and customer service and culture. And yet they don't have a business. <laughs> they don't have one employee, but they're talking about leadership. I'm like, that was great in theory, but how can you back that up? Like how, how important is it for you to maintain your successful businesses? Because if they're not successful, then you're going to lose credibility. Yeah, you know, over 30 years, I've built three companies, all built on, um, you know, world-class customer service, 150 employees, and I call them my living laboratories and, and you know, fail a lot, uh, but it does give me the credibility to understand that, you know, you got to balance efficiency, productivity, cash flow, and delivering an exceptional experience that can make price irrelevant. So it's not just, well, why aren't you doing this? You know, just do this. So, so one of the examples I use is anytime we implement something for uh, someone else, it has to meet four criteria, okay? It has to be no cost, okay? It has to have uh, very simple to do because everybody's job from frontline to anyone is very complicated. So we don't want to make it more complicated. The third thing, it, it has to have zero impact on productivity, meaning this can't add 10 seconds to a phone call, a meeting, an interaction, whatever that may be. And then the fourth thing, it has to be a wow to the customer where the customer's like, wow, that's unusual. I don't get that anywhere else. So that's important. And so when I can come from that, people immediately know I have a business because, you know, that's important to me. You know, if all of a sudden it's slowing everyone down and it's costing a ton of things to do, we're not going to be profitable. So you're not asking members of your audience to do something that you yourself aren't already practicing and trying to implement yourself. No, 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 not yeah. at all. That, that would be hypocritical and not the best uh, way to point them. Well, I need to share with our listeners a bit more information about who you are. 
So obviously I'm going to read here. John is the authority on world-class customer experience. He is an international consultant, keynote speaker, best-selling author of five customer service books. I could barely come up with one book. How'd you do five? I'm excited to talk what about What else your- do you do between midnight and 4 a.m.? Oh, when? my God. I mean- <laughs> Sleep to try to get enough energy to be wide awake and ready to go for an eight-year-old at six in the morning. That's what I'm doing. Uh, you're going to have grandchildren soon, so just remember, you're going to be a grandpa soon. Uh, the relationship economy, building stronger customer connections in the digital age, which I can't wait to talk about. Some of the companies that you have worked for, done presentations for the Ritz-Carlton, Lexus, Starbucks, Nordstrom's, Nestle, Marriott Hotels, Celebrity Cruises, Anytime Fitness, Harley Davidson's. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Do you have all and of those masters. companies? Oh, and Masters and Masters. Yeah, um, do you have all those companies tattooed on your uh, body? You need all those logos. I know there's a Harley Davidson yeah. logo. Yeah. Lots of tattoos. <laughs> okay. You are the founder of three businesses, the DeJulius Group, which is an international customer service consulting firm, John Roberts Spa, a chain of upscales salons in Northeast Ohio, which has repeatedly been named of the top 20 salons in America. That's quite a lot right there. And then also your nonprofit, Believe in Dreams, which I'm absolutely going to ask you about. So let's just jump into this because you heavily believe on the importance of relationships and the fact that you have the word relationship in the title of your new book, The Relationship Economy. Talk to us about why relationships in the world of customer service are so important, especially when the world nowadays is very, very focused on digital and on social media marketing and seems like it's pulling away from the value of relationships. Yeah, listen, today's illiterate are those who have an inability to make a meaningful connection with others. And that's the sad truth. There's a seismic shift that's been happening in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. And with all the technology that's coming and changing our lives and the benefits and conveniences, it's come at a significant cost. And that causes human interactions, which is most meaningful to customer satisfaction, employee experience, and just overall personal happiness. But you were talking about this long before there was the so-called digital age, long before there was social media, which we're going to get into the, the benefits of that, but absolutely the, the pitfalls of social media. Uh, you were talking about the importance of relationships with customer service, again, over 20 years ago. So what's changed in the last 20 years? Um, that I've become relevant. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know. I'm one of those guys that, you know, I, I stay in uh, style. So eventually when it comes back in, I look like I'm ahead of the curve. No, really. I mean, you know, when we opened uh, our first business almost 30 years ago, we had the three no's, right? No money, no customers, no employees. And, you know, how do we compete with everyone? We couldn't out build a fancier, you know, building. We couldn't out advertise. Um, we couldn't out spend. But, you know, I knew we could just, you know, provide an experience that was exceptional. And we didn't want to be known back then by my business, you know, it is and was the, the salon experience. And, and the goal wasn't to be, 
you know, the best salon experience you can have. Because that's kind of irrelevant. Because if you're coming to our salon, you're then not going to my nearest competitor and comparing. So we wanted to be the best experience you had in your day. So when you went to the doctor's office or met your friend for lunch or, you know, wherever you were going, you know, we wanted you to be like Dorothy on the Wizard of Oz, clicking your heels, wishing, you know, why can't they treat you like the uh, John Roberts just treated you? So that was it back then. And then as we grew and, and got deeper pockets, we realized that was still the best investment is the experience. And that did more marketing for us than any, you know, marketing campaign ever could. So that, that grew. And then, you know, what started happening in the mid nineties and, and where our paths crosses, people started asking me to speak and, you know, I just took it as flattery. Um, but then eventually every time I spoke, it led to three or four new speaking opportunities. And then it took me outside the salon industry. And then I wrote my first book, which really took me from being a salon owner that spoke uh, to a speaker that owns salons. And that kind of is what took me out of the, the salon industry day to day. Well, the majority of the people are, that are listening to this right now are not from the salon industry. And, and I love that you have a life outside the salon industry. We're all grateful for, because that was the platform that we all used to learn <laughs> how to be successful people in life. It was the beauty industry. And so we're always grateful for that. But anybody listening to this so that nobody thinks that they can check out right now, everybody is in business for themselves. Even if you work for somebody else, if you're an employee at a salon, you're an employee at a company, you have a brand, you have one employee, and that employee is you. And for people to approach it that way, even if you work for a company or a store, a a business that does not have successful systems for brilliant customer service, the fact that you could be the person to our listeners now that you could be the person that implements that and instills that in your company, in your store, in your business absolutely is going to serve you well. But I like what you said, John, that your, your customers in your salon aren't comparing you to another salon because they don't go to another salon, but they do go to restaurants. They do go to retail stores. They do go to the doctor's offices. And so they're comparing their customer service experience in all those other businesses with your business. So can you just, before we jump into this, send a strong message out to the individuals listening to this, why it's so important that they take on your advice and your information and your systems to build their own brand. Well, you know, how could any company as a customer service comes down to one thing and one thing only your service aptitude from the CEO, founder, president, to the newest employee that's going to start interacting with your customers next week, maybe in the warehouse, internal, external, it doesn't matter. And the real paradigm shift is where service aptitude comes from. Most people, most leaders think it's an eight, that you're born with it. You just, you know, grow up. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. You know, service aptitude comes from three places. One, our previous life experiences. And, you know, I don't know about you, Wynn, but I didn't grow up driving a Mercedes-Benz when I got my license. I wasn't flying first class and I wasn't staying at five-star resorts. Yet the first job, the first 10, 20 jobs I got, I was expected to give that type of experience to customers, patients, clients, tenants. And I didn't know what world-class looked like. I mean, I, you know, I dined at Taco Bell and McDonald's, right? That was my, you know, the second place where a service aptitude gets shaped is previous work experiences 
And unless, you know, we have a direct pipeline to former Ritz, Carlton, Disney, and Chick-fil-A employees, which none of us do, that means our employees have worked somewhere else that wasn't world-class. And they might have been brainwashed to not trust the customer, not let customers take advantage of them. Well, those first two things, previous life experiences and previous work experiences, we can't control, right? I mean, we have no control. The only thing we control is the third place. And that's what we do with our new employees after we hire them. And, you know, in most businesses, I love to ask this question, you know, if you were to hire my son tomorrow to be in a customer facing position, phones, you know, customer service rep, you know, whatever it may be, how much training are you going to give them? And, and people say two days, two weeks, two months. Great. That's not the answer I'm looking for. The answer I'm looking for is of those 48 hours, 400 hours, 2000 hours, how much of it is product knowledge, operational, you know, stuff versus soft skill, building relationships, showing compassion and empathy, making a brilliant comeback when, you know, we drop the ball. And in most cases, it's 98% operational and processes and less than 2%. Hey, young win, see that sign in the back? It says exceed customers' expectations. Yeah, go do that. Right. And you know, it, it, you it tell that, 100 that, people that, yeah, 100 different interpretations are made. It's, it's that stock photo uh, poster that you can buy. It has a picture of an right. eagle soaring, right? Right. There's our customer yeah. service training right there. Go look at that poster. <laughs> right. And so the, the way to put a bow on that is it's not your employee's responsibility to have high service aptitude. It's your, the company, the leader to make sure you train them to have high service aptitude. Right, right. I remember a very successful salon owner saying that in hiring a new team member for his company, he would take them on a very fancy dinner, pick them up in a limousine and take them to a fine dining restaurant so that they could experience that. And how do you feel right now? Oh, I feel amazing. Well, how you feel right now is how we want all of our customers to feel after they've had an experience in our company, in our store. So we expose them because you're right. We don't, Some of us don't have that exposure or we didn't have that exposure. We're trying to deliver customer service, but we haven't felt that or experienced it ourselves. We weren't staying at the Ritz-Carlton. I quote you in my book, and I think that you said, I should probably go back and read my own book. I think in that quote, you talked about how Disney, the company Disney, is absolutely known for impeccable customer service and clean environments and, you know, the, the happiest place on earth but you believe that maybe only 5% of those employees that work at Disney already come with that skill set. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I love to ask this question. You know, I said, if you're going to build a world-class customer service organization, be it a, a you know, professional service firm, be it, you know, a, a restaurant, be it a hot dog stand on the corner of 5th and Main, what is more important? A, the hiring of new employees, or B, the training and culture you put them in on. And I always say, well, before you answer, let me share with you. The obvious answer is both, right? Without a doubt, you can't achieve this unless you do both. But I'm going to force you to put one extra percent on one of them, right? 51%. And, you know, typically the majority of the audience will go with B, training and hire, uh, training and culture. And I agree. And, and I say, now, th- those of you that select hiring, don't get mad at me. You absolutely have to have an unbelievable, rigorous screening process. I call that the 30-foot high fence with barbed wire on it. We don't want to be for just anyone. 
But do we really think the Disney's of the world found 50,000 cast members born to serve? No, I don't think there's 500 human beings walking the planet. But here's what Walt said that I love that I think everyone should plagiarize and change to their name, their company name. He says, we don't put our people in Disney. We put Disney in our people. I love that. Brilliant. Right? Brilliant. You put your brand in people and then they become the guardians of your brand, the guardians of your experience. And they call each other out and say, hey, win, new employee. No, 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 no. We don't do that here. No, 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 no. You know, you don't point and tell someone where the bath, you take her to the restroom. You know, you don't say no problem. You say certainly my pleasure. So there's absolutely a system of, of scripts, of behaviors, and you want to hire the right people. And I love that analogy that you gave of you put a, a 30 foot, what'd you call a 30 foot high 30 fence, foot high barbed, fence wire. barbed wire? Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to get in here. <laughs> you want, you want to work in, in my Nor company, in my salon. Be. It's difficult to get in. And we, we make it difficult, you know, train, hire, slow. But the importance of that, that, that training process. And but you, you and a lot of other people, maybe not you, a lot of people call them soft skills. And in my company, we're trying to abandon that. We're trying to abandon calling them soft skills and instead adopting the term essential skills. Because when you get fired for a company, it's usually because you screwed up with Soft skills. There's nothing soft about being fired because you showed up to work as a jerk today. They call that a soft skill. Your attitude is a soft skill, but you lost your job because of it. Nothing soft about that. I love that. And and I agree with it because it's not soft. Soft sounds like common sense. And they're the least common, you know, thing that, that we can have. They're hard skills and they need to be taught and trained just like, you know, you train your chefs on how to prepare the meal and your financial advisors on how to, you know, do the books. Okay, I'm going to quote you. As convenient as technological advances make our lives, they also have changed the way we communicate, behave, and think, and have led to a dramatic decline in our people skills. As a society, we are now relationship disadvantaged. You know, you walk into a restaurant, there's five people at dinner, and what are they all doing? They're all on the phones. Like the, like the table is glowing underneath because they're all staring at a device. I was, I was at dinner a while ago with this guy, and he was on his phone a lot. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, um, I'm posting to let people know that I'm at dinner with you. Yeah. So you're having this experience with a whole bunch of virtual people, but you're not having it with me. And by the way, I took a shower to have dinner with you tonight. You know, I, I left my family and drove 20 minutes to have an experience with you, but you're not available to have an experience with me. Must be present to win. That's one of my favorite quotes. Must be present to win, right? I'm so focused on the person I'm with that, you know, you should be able to blow a firecracker off and I'm not, don't even realize it because, you know, eye contact, whatever it is, you know, face-to-face, over the phone, via email, I am so engrossed in the person in, in front of me. Well, how difficult is that for you personally? And not, not just in, in work, but in your personal life as well. You have kids, you're a dad, um, you have hundreds of employees. How difficult is that for you to, I know you believe it, but to actually really practice that. And I'll tell you, we struggle. I have an eight-year-old little girl and I want to stay away from my device. I don't want to be staring at a device when she is present. There's no way I'm anywhere near that, but I, I want to work in that direction. And I look at my 
that report that I get every single day that shows my screen time and I want that to go lower and lower. And so I'm, you don't hear any buzzes or what, what do they call those notices? What do they call notifications? Those? Yeah. There's no notification set up. So nothing is pinging or beeping on my phone. I, I turn all of those off so that that doesn't draw my attention and tempt me. But how difficult is that for you personally to practice that? Oh, it's so difficult. And I've really had to put some, you know, rules and parameters in even for me. So, you know, one of my favorite quotes is the greatest gift we can give anyone is the gift of our attention. Right. And so, you know, that might look like, you know, when I'm driving, whether it's at work or at home, I might drive, you know, had a rough day at work or got beat up on the phone by a customer or whatever it may be. And I'll pull into the garage and I may realize I can't give the gift to my three boys right now. So I'll stay in the car for another 10 minutes, you know, with the car turned off, of course. But, you know, I, I want to come in and, and give them that gift. And so, you know, putting some rules in that there's absolutely no phones allowed at the dinner table or no phones allowed in the restaurant. You know, when they were young enough and I used to drive them to school or drive them anywhere, it was a less than a 20 minute drive. Dad couldn't get on the phone and make a phone call and they couldn't be on the phone, you know, playing games or or watching it. We actually had to have a a conversation, right? And so, you know, putting rules and not using it the last, you know, half an hour of the night in the first hour of the morning just really helps making sure that we're present and, you know, when we're making them breakfast or getting them off, you know, on their day, we're not only asking the question, you know, how was school? How was your day? What, you know, but we're really listening. It's not just to ask, just to ask. Well, I'm 61. How old are you? 56. Okay. So now you have employees now that you hire that are 20 something, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So a lot of them, they grew up with social media. They, they grew up with some type of a device in their hands. What are you implementing in your own business and with your own employees in terms of guidelines and boundaries of when they're allowed to look at their device? Like, do you say, sorry, you can't bring your device into the building or you have to keep it in your locker or like what guidelines do you have? I mean, we have nevers and always, and nevers never have your phone, you know, with you if you're with a a client, you know, a face-to-face. But the biggest thing is, you know, we're living in a touchscreen age, and that's not generational specific. Old guys like, you know, me and you are, you know, using devices more than we ever have. And, you know, and then obviously we have, you know, millennials, Zoomers, and children um, using them, and they've only grown up knowing those. But it's affected all our our people skills. And we have, you know, a whole generation that is relationship disadvantaged because they've only known the digital age, high tech, no touch experiences. 40% of employees are working for a boss that's younger than them, right? So all these things at no fault of their own. So you know, make no mistake about it. The lack of people skills our society has today is the problem of business leaders to solve. And so the way you solve it is we got to train them on relationship building techniques because they didn't get it at home. There's no class teaching it. And so if we want to, you know, be that outlier, that top 3%, we have to teach them what you know, relationship building is. So it's a rigorous training program. And, you know, we have five things that go with it. And four of them can be taught. One of them 
all the training in the world isn't going to move it. So um, here's the five teaching how to be authentic, right? That, you know, that is something that, you know, you got to teach because people have great BS detectors today. I know if someone's calling up and they have a hidden agenda, you know, if your interest in others is genuine. The second one is having insatiable curiosity. Um, the third one is having incredible empathy. Um, the fourth one is must, you know, genuinely love people. And the fifth one is, you know, being a great listener. And again, if you can find employees with those, some of those, any of those, you're farther along. But, but I know for a fact that four of them can be taught, but all the training in the world isn't going to change. If you don't love others, I can't put you through any training course that can get you to love. That's the one thing your interview process has to catch and recognize. So what you just shared, that's a really good roadmap even for somebody who's looking for a job, you're looking to go work for a company for them to use these five things too. I want to look for a company. I want to find a boss who is authentic, who is curious, who is empathetic, who loves people and is also a great listener. So it's not just great training for, for team members, but to be able to say that that's a, a great mantra for any kind of a business. Spouse, significant other, right? Friend. I mean, like, you know, do we want to hang out together if, you know, someone's void in any of those areas, right? You know, think about curiosity. If you never ask me about me, but, you know, every time we, you know, talk or go out for, you know, beers or whatever, it's all about win, 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 right? You know, all those things are just general human skill sets that we have to bring back and make important. You know, my favorite thing, I did a TED talk called uh, Meet His Strangers, Leave His Friends. Right. And, and basically the whole premise was about there's no great, other than breathing in oxygen, I don't believe there's any greater skill we can work at, teach, teach our, our kids, teach our employees, than the ability to build an instant rapport with others, whether that be an acquaintance, friend, coworker, client, stranger in an elevator. Again, the problem is that this skill set is not taught anywhere. It's not a class. It's not a, you know, anything. So, you know, how do we do that? Because we're all genetically coded to be preoccupied, right? It's my flight that got delayed. It's my client that's threatening to, you know, fire us. It's my sales guy that's, you know, asking for a raise. It's my son that got in trouble um, at school. So that's hard to turn off when you're, you're talking to someone else. And so that's why, you know, first, we just have to realize everyone we come in contact with has an invisible sign above their head. that says, make me feel important, right? Everyone I love that one. And, and so important. I always say, you know, there's a Stephen Covey, I'm sure you heard this quote, has said, you know, people don't listen with the intent of understanding. They listen with the intent of responding, right? right. So true. So if you don't mind me, you know, going off a little bit here, scientists study the human brain. And they found that the, it takes the human brain a minimum of 0.6 seconds to formulate a response to something said to it. And then they studied hundreds and thousands of conversations and found the average gap between people talking was 0.2 seconds. So how Maybe am so I re- listening? Mm-hmm. No, right? I mean, one third the time our brain, I I'm, had my answer ready minutes ago. I'm just waiting for you to come up for breath. And bam, I have no idea what you just said, but you know. I got what I want to tell you, you know, already. So our system and what we teach our clients and my employees and my three boys is anytime you talk to someone, 
If you want to demonstrate that you built a relationship, you have to know two or more things of their Ford. If you know two or more things of the other person's Ford, F-O-R-D, if you know two or more things of the other person's Ford, you not only built a relationship, you own the relationship because to each and every one of us, our own Ford is our hot buttons. It's it, what gets us talking. Okay, I want to get into yeah. what F-O-R-D stands for, but I don't want to always come off as being someone who is bashing devices and, and iPhones because I realize that there is a huge big purpose. We all have them and we absolutely need them. Can't operate, can't do business, can't uh, send my daughter off to school, you know, can't do a lot of things without having that. But all these things that you mentioned, being authentic, curiosity, empathy, loving people, great listener, all of those things are compromised if we're staring at a device. Yeah, I love devices. I'm the biggest geek. I have everything, iPads and computers and, and iPhones and you name it. But, you know, whether I'm using it or, or it's face-to-face, you can still build relationships with it. And, you know, technology is not the enemy. Using it to eliminate the human experience is. There's a company in Canada, um, Fido Wireless, and they are forcing their customers to use their self-service channels, right? Go on the website, you know, use those, you know, all those to the point that if you want to call up and speak to them about a bill um, on your statement or you're having a problem with your phone and you need to talk to someone to support, they charge your account $10, Right. I mean, that's where you're taking it too far, where, where you're, wow. you're eliminating the human experience. There's a whole generation that, you know, just doesn't know or want to adopt to those self-service channels. Or what if I've just exhausted them and I just want my phone to work? Right. right. I should be able to call a human being and get that for me. Wow. So Ford, F-O-R-D, what does that stand for? Family. Right. Are they married? Do they have kids? How old are their kids? What activity are their kids into? Oh, occupation. What's he or she do for a living? Um, what's their title? How long they've been doing it? What's the name of their company? Ours is a lot of people's hottest buttons. What do you like to do? Uh, recreation. What do you like to do with your free time? Fitness, runner, hot yoga, teach little league soccer, you know, dance, whatever it is. And indeed dreams. Um, what's on their bucket list? What's their dream vacation? What's their charity that they love to you know, give their time and money? And what's their encore career performance that they're working towards? So F-O-R-D, family, occupation, occupation. Uh, recreation. recreation, and D, dreams. So Correct. you said that you train this to your kids, to your sons? Yeah, if, if, if I see my son talking to you, you know, in an event or wherever, he knows that when he comes over, he better give me all the down low on you. Because like anything, you know, adults like to say to kids, oh, how old are you? What, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And I want to make sure he's not just taking that and he's turning it back on to you. So he's not just, you know, throwing up on you or, or anyone. So we have it, you know, and our clients have it. They put it in their CRM system. So when they hear these things, they can update it. You know, uh, Wynn's daughter just turned eight. You know, she's getting into, you know, soccer, dance or ballet. I mean, those are the hot buttons you love talking about. You know, we've communicated four or five times, you know, once on the phone, a couple of times electronically. And you've sent me pictures of your drop dead 
gorgeous daughter, right? And so those are things. And, you know, not making someone feel like a transaction, asking the fifth time you've talked to them, I'm sorry, when do you have kids? Right? right? I mean, like, you know, like, how bad is that? Well, Mike, you could be offering the best service, the best product, and you ask that question, you have kids? And they've been there four or five times. Is this, is this right. your first time in? Mm, I, I've been here about 25. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm never coming back, by the way. Right. Or you come up and you say, hi, John, I'm Wynn. And you, you, you hand out your, I'm like, why are you introducing yourself? Like, I, I, I've worked with you like 16 times, right? You know, listen, I don't expect any of us to have the, you know, I have a lousy memory, but I do, I can't cheat and see, oh, Wynn is from California and he's been here five times. And, you know, oh, now I remember Wynn. But just walking up and acting like, when, when, who's, which one of yours, Wynn? is not a great experience. You know, I'm the same way. I mean, I mean, this, we're not going to release the video of this, but John, this is my planner and everybody laughs at me that, I mean, I still write everything down. I don't, I don't do it digitally, but, but what's also written in here is uh, information like that. People are like, when, how did you remember that? I'm like, I didn't remember a thing. I don't even remember your birthday. I don't remember anything, but I called you on your birthday. Right. I, re- right. I remembered that about you. Why? Because I wrote it down. And so if you and I have a conversation today and it was something about something you're struggling with or something you're going through, guess what? I made a note to myself in a week from now, follow up with John to ask him about how that's going. Like I make notes about it because I know that that really truly matters. No, you're right. I mean, you might be running your first marathon at the end of May, right? How cool would that be to, you know, circle back or send you an article about, you know, how to hydrate or whatever the the night before or follow up the day after and say, when, how was it? What was your time? Did you finish? I mean, like, and when doesn't remember even telling someone about that? Right. So I was wondering, because when you were talking about, what did you call them? The five things? Uh, the arts of building relationships. The art of building relationships. It was authentic curiosity, empathy. You have to love people and be a great listener. I was wondering, yes. okay, well, how do you train or implement a system for your team members to be authentic for them to be a great listener? But then you just gave us the tool, F-O-R-D. So this obviously is not just for your sons. In building no, no, no. This is part of the training. Like I yeah, said, we, we do a Ford audit and we'll look and see how many appointments you had, how many calls you had, how many meetings you had. And then we could pull up in Salesforce to see if you updated their Ford. Now, you know, we'd have to go to your chisel and slate, but most people are, are using computers today. So we could just look up and see who your 11 o'clock call was. And if you updated the Ford in their CRM system. But yeah, that's, that's the biggest one for curiosity, that if you're focused on people's sport, you're being curious, mm-hmm. genuinely curious. Mm-hmm. You talked about conversations, nevers and always. Nevers, conversations, always conversations. What, what's that list all about? Yeah, this was uh, the most painful part of the research, just finding out the gap I was between... My listening skills, probably what I thought my listening skills was, what they actually were, and what being a great listener was. I mean, I just, I did everything wrong. Even, you know, recently is is a few years ago, and I still do do things wrong, but this really helps. So so being a great listener first is is, uh, Tom Peters called it having fierce attention. 
I love that word. And so when you have fierce attention, what that looks like is if you ask a question to someone and don't ask two to three follow-up questions, odds are you weren't listening. So what you want to have is a four to one ratio of questions asked versus answered. I like that because uh, a long time ago, here I'm name dropping right now. A long time ago, some magazine called me because I've been doing podcasts in the beauty industry for 22 years. Somebody called me the Larry King of the beauty industry. And so and Larry wow. read that and called me and said, hey, I need to teach you how to be Larry King. And so I went to his house and he said, OK, this is how you become Larry King. He says, never assume that you got the full answer from your one question. He says, all you have to do is start the interview. It could be an hour long interview and all you need is one question because that one question is going to guide you into another question, into another question, because in their answer, they said a word or they said a story or they said they mentioned something and then you can build upon that word or that story or whatever and and just keep on going from there to build this whole branch, this whole tree based on, on one question. So that's kind of what you're talking about. That. Larry Don't King, assume the that, yeah. Godfather. Wow. That's cool. I know. That is so cool. Are you familiar with Chris Voss? No. It, he, I'm like just consuming everything this guy says. So it, it's the exact same thing. He was the chief FBI negotiator for terrorism. Wow. Okay. And so it's like, what can he teach me about business? And it, it's a lot. And just like you said, he said, all you got to do is ask one question and then you mirror and so meaning, you know, I, I, what do you like to do with your time when you, oh, I love playing with my eight-year-olds. We like to, and, and it gives me such a hot. And then what, you know, he says there is just repeat like kind of a couple words of the last sentence. Gives you such a high. Oh my God. Like when I do this with her, I'm in my head. And again, y'all, you never have to ask another question. You're just mirroring a couple words. And it just sends them off. And so, you know, to my point of being a great listener, that there's a myth that being a sponge means you're a great listener. And they, they said that's the opposite. So being a sponge, what we you know probably think of is shut up and just let the other person talk. And every so often say, uh-huh, oh, uh-huh. And, and they're saying that's not a great listener, right? Okay. They're saying you don't want to be a sponge, you want to be a trampoline. And you kind of said it so yourself. Being a trampoline means I'm taking what you're saying and I'm, I'm, I'm helping you heighten your energy and depth by saying, oh, clarifying questions. When, how did you come, what, what made you, you know, even discover that? And all of a sudden it just opens up the floodgates of winds, excitement and passion. And so, you know, being a trampoline instead of being a sponge. But I love that. So to go your, back to, your, to uh, fierce attention. Nevers and always. Oh yeah. Nevers and always. And you mentioned I'm sorry. fierce attention. We're all over the place. How do we keep yeah. up with ourselves? Two ADD guys. <laughs> Great. There's a it, squirrel. It has served me well. <laughs> ADD has served me well. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so here's some, some quick nevers and always, right? Never multitask. That's, you know, hard, easier said than done. Never ask a question because you're dying to answer it, right? Like, hey, when? how was your weekend? Really? Let me tell you what I did, right? Right. Um, so these are all never the nevers. Finish- Right. Never finish the other person's sentence. I, I've always been so bad at that because I might know where you're going. And, you know, I just, I'm like, you're painfully giving me too much detail, right? Um, <laughs> never steal someone's thunder. Now, this is one I'm, I was always guilty of, but I thought it was for 
good intentions, right? Because I was showing that we had something in common, but reading the research, I could see. So let's say you have a, a young employee, 22 years old, and you know she was on vacation last week. And you say, hey, where did you guys go anywhere? Yeah, me and my husband took our four-year-old to Disneyland. And, you know, she's so excited. It's a, and you're like, oh, my God, we have, you know, we own property. We own a condo at Disneyland. Well, all of a sudden that just cried. Yeah. What can she tell you about Disneyland, right? You know, you, you spend three months a year there. So, you know, I would do things like that thinking that would, you know, show that we had something in common and, you know, shut up and just say, tell me about Disneyland. Where did you stay? Where did you go? Right. And it's it, these painful things, you know, never share your accolades unless they aren't asked. Some conversation always, I right? always remove any distractions. So I'll give you a good example I've learned to do. If an employee comes into my office and says, uh, you know, John, do you have a second? I'd like to ask you. Or one of my sons says, dad, you, you know, can I talk to you? What I'll do is something counterintuitive. I'll say, yeah, when, hold on. And then I take my cell phone out of my pocket, which sounds like, you know, wait, what are you doing? And I'll say, hold on, when, and I'll, I'll sit there, I'll turn my phone off. And then I'll put it in my drawer. Mm. How do you feel as an employee, right? Wow. 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 I'm, you know, nothing's more important you know, and so, you know, it it makes them feel really good. You know, listen with your eyes, always listen with your eyes, right? Instead of looking over their shoulder, looking at your screen, looking at your phone, just listen with your eyes. Um, Always uh, ask probing questions, clarifying questions. Why? Tell me more. Can you give me an example? What does that look like? Show empathy and support in a non-judgmental way. Um, always wait two seconds before responding because, you know, they might not be done and you should probably process the last thing they said. Always collect forward and document it for future use and always commit to a follow-up when it's called for, an action plan in a specific amount of time. And, and uh, that Chris Voss, again, something I learned from him, you know, when he was negotiating with terrorists and he was really – you know, working with the parents, right? So you, you, God forbid your, your child is in a foreign country and he's captured, Uh, you know, they would say that, you know, the anxiety of the parent is worse than probably the anxiety of the captive, right? You know, because of the unknown. And so he said that when you provide predictability to someone, be it a customer or, you know, a parent that has a a child in, in, you know, being captive, it reduces their anxiety so much. And the example he said was, all right, you know, Mr. Smith, here's what I'm going to do when I hang up. I'm going to do A, B, C. I'm going to find out this. And I'm going to call you back tomorrow at 10 a.m. And he said when he did that or when his negotiators would do that, the parents were fine. Like they were, they were better. But anytime they weren't specific and gave them a specific time, the people would start freaking out. They'd go off the deep end. They would think, oh my God, maybe they're negotiating 10 different people and I'm not a priority. And they would just lose their mind like we all would. And so it's so true with clients, right? And and employees of giving them predictability and following up and saying, you know, I, I will let you know by the end of tomorrow. I'll have an answer for you by the end of tomorrow. And even if I don't have an answer, call them with an answer that when I'm still checking, I don't want you to think I forgot waiting for HR, waiting for, you know, whatever. Um, so it's just little things like that. You know, as you're talking about this, there, there's several leaders that are popping into my head that I'm thinking, oh my gosh, so-and-so is brilliant at exactly what John is talking about right now. Luke Jacob Ellis, who is a president of Paul Mitchell. This man is brilliant with everything that you just said. 
Can yeah. I ask you something? I, I mean, Anything. just the last 10 minutes of you talking is going to make this whole interview incredible. So these conversations, the never. So should we cut the and, first uh, 30 minutes? No, no, but I want to know where does this live? <laughs> Nevers and always, where can we find that list? What book is that in? The relationship economy. Everything I've been sharing with you is from the relationship. So it's economy. all from your, from your, the, from your brand the new newest book. book. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about what you call, are you in your client's foxhole metaphor? What is that about? So I had a, a client of mine uh, years ago. I went out to dinner with him and he said, uh, I hope I die before my banker. I'm like, what? Like, who says that? Like, sadly, if my banker died, I, I wouldn't even send a sympathy card, right? Like, right. I'm like, what do you mean? And this is what he said to me. He said, he's such a trusted advisor that if I was thinking about painting my walls orange, corporate office, I would call him first. And then he says, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know squat about paint or interior design, but I know he knows someone that does. And man, when he said that, that hit me like, that's what I want to be for my clients, right? Like, like I, I'm a one trick pony. I know customer experience. And if you want sales, motivation, leadership, I'll refer you out. You know, that's just not me, but I do want them to think of me first when they need stuff and trust that I will, you know, be that resource. So, you know, we came up with this, are you and your, your client, the CEO of your you know client bomb shelter? And, and so we all have a metaphoric bomb shelter, right? We have a personal bomb shelter where, you know, if we were under attack, we'd take our significant other. And on most days, all three of my boys I, I would take, right? And then, you know, this, but the CEO bomb shelter only has room for two vendor partners, okay? How confident are you that they will reserve a spot in their bomb shelter? So we talk about, you know, what it takes to, you know, be a, a partner that, you know, they can't live without, and, you know, first, you know, you better genuinely care about their business as much as they do, right? Um, they should never meet anyone smarter at what you do than you walk in the planet. This is a big one. Love what you do and make it obvious, okay? Like, you know, you, you wear your emotions on a sleeve. Like, I love when I talk to you or even text you because I, you know, the energy you exude. But I know a lot of people that like, I'm like, do you like what you do? Oh, I love what I do. But they don't show it. Like, right. you know, make it obvious. Like, tell you know, your face because I can't see it. Right, right. Go ugly early, right? And I think you said this earlier. If it's bad news, open with it. Come out, be transparent. Tell me what the situation is and tell me how we're going to work like heck to, you know, fix it. As you're talking through all of this, it just is making me think that all this stuff is, this is not soft stuff. These are the essential skills. And what you're doing is you are laying it out for individuals who want to be successful in their own right. They want to be entrepreneurs or they want to be successful for the company that they work for. They want to move up that ladder quickly. This is exactly the training, the information that they need. But you're also laying out for us any business owner or leader or manager who's listening to this you're giving them the training manual. This is how you train your people. This is how you're going to gain more customers. This is how you're going to retain your customers. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And the best part is because I get to present it all the time. It, it's reinforcing it with me because, you know, stuff that we got to do too, you know, on a daily basis. Oh, I'm reminded of that. I have a little eight year old who reminds me of that all the time. Yeah. She'll call uh, you out. 
she uses my own material against me. It's like, dang it. <laughs> I tell the story, I tell the story about bitter or better, bitter or better. And she used that on me the other day. Daddy, are you being bitter right now? I'm like, oh my gosh, nice. I'm not gonna let you listen in on my conversation. So here's anymore. the deal. If if, if Wynn is booked, hire his daughter. <laughs> there she could probably do the presentation as good, right? Well, that's that's great. That's great. Actually, you know, her <laughs> principal at her school said that in front of a school assembly. He said, "When I call in six, Sophia will run the school." He said that in front yeah, of everybody. It was hilarious. That's know. awesome. I love it. Okay, I'm going to start to kind of wrap things up here. One of the things that I love about what you share is that about making price irrelevant. Because some people think how I'm going to earn loyalty from my customer is I have to compete on price only. If I'm the cheapest, if my customer is charging $20, I'll charge $18 and that will win the loyalty. They'll switch to my company, to my brand, to my product, and I'll keep them for life. Talk about that. Yeah, what we do, what I say, you know, that the Julius Group does, what, you know, my businesses bank on is we make price irrelevant. Now, this is what making price irrelevant doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we can double our prices or even raise them 30% and not lose existing or potential customers. What it does mean is based on the experience, your brand consistently delivers at every touch point. That's not dependent on if I get Wynn or Lance or Nancy, no matter who I get at every touch point, I have no idea what their competition charges, right? And if you think about that, we're all price sensitive, personally and professionally. And, you know, if you've been like me, I've driven three extra miles to save 50 cents on something that not realizing I just lost in that exchange. But I also have a few people I love to do business. I've been doing business with them 25, 30 years that I'll recommend you. Oh, you got to use this. You got to use up. And sometimes people say, well, how much do they charge? Because my guy charged. And that's where I'm embarrassed. I have no idea. Right. And, you know, I can call my assistant. She can pull out his last note, but I don't care. Right. I mean, because he is so good. Peace of mind. Does it right. You know, everything does what he says, comes when he says he's got to come and that's it, you know? And so, so I choose to operate my three businesses and, to, you know, my clients not to compete in, in price wars. I want to compete in experience wars, a um, lot less players that know how to do it. And then the last thing I'll share to this is I do believe in price match guarantee. Okay. Which if you're paying attention, I should sound like the biggest hypocrite and I just contradicted everything I said. But this is what I mean by that. I want everyone listening, watching, everyone that works for me to have this mindset and to be able to articulate this. We are the ultimate experience experts at what we do. And there is no one better. And in fact, we will not be oversold. If you can find it higher somewhere else, we will raise our prices and match it. <laughs> right? Total paradigm shift. Oh my but God, here's the thing. We, we, we get into a, a, you know, this is an important question to ask your employees because they're getting it asked every day. Hey, when, how much do we charge for this? And then, you know, when says the price and then what they get next, Whoa, I could get it somewhere else for less. And it's what when says next is so critical. And so often, most of the time, people start shrinking and backpedaling and say, oh, well, I'll throw in this and free this. No, like I want someone to ask me about my price because you're giving me an opportunity to brag and invisibly sell. And by the time I'm done explaining to you what comes with, 
you're going to walk away saying, holy cow, I can't afford to go cheaper, right? And that's the key to it. So, you know, my favorite quote to that is discounting is a tax you pay for being average. Oh, that's a good one. You know, we properly wrap this up. Well, two things. I keep on saying I'm going to wrap it up and then I keep on asking more. That's Um, okay. We're talking about the customer, but let's talk about the internal customer, meaning our team members. And I like what you say. I've heard you say this, that we want to run jerk-free businesses. Because I know a lot of business leaders and owners and managers who are demanding, rightfully so, that their team delivers wonderful customer service, but then they're jerks to their employees. So I'm going to be a jerk to you, but when you leave my office, you're going to go out there and be really uh, authentic, curious, empathetic, uh, a great listener to the customer. Right. You know, and that's it. Uh, you know, we're more worried about what you like to work with. And, and you know, we, I've, I have found some people that were great to the customer, but lousy to work with. And, and that is the unauthentic part that you might be doing that to get a bigger tip, a higher commission, a better sale. But I've never found someone that wasn't a world-class team member that didn't just intuitively take care of the customer. So that's what we're more worried about, right? You know, is someone who's a world-class team member, that just means they're a world-class person. And, and so that's why, you know, the best things you can do for your hiring is make your hiring process ungameable. Right. And what I mean by that is, is I know when if you're interviewing me today, there's a, a good chance you're going to ask me a question like, well, John, tell me true drawbacks about you. Right. And I'm ready for that. Well, I'm a workaholic and a perfectionist. Right. Bam. I nailed that one. That right. I'm, I'm like, you know, you know, there's certain things that most companies ask. So, you know, learning from the best how to make your interview process ungameable. Right. To find if these people genuinely love others or if they're just putting on an ad. So one thing is like an interview process, the first interview, a lot of great companies will do group interviews and there's several good reasons for this. Number one, you know, so I don't spend six hours interviewing six people, right? That's not good. I could spend one hour interviewing six people and then we just kind of go around the room and I'm asking everyone the same question. Okay. Tell me a time when you went above and beyond. Tell me a time when you, whatever. And so what the candidates thinking is what they're being judged on is who has the best answer, right? So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to crush it here. Well, what they're really looking at is not what Wynn is saying when it's his turn, what Wynn is doing when the other five people are answering. Um, and is Wynn peeking at his Apple Watch and is he checked out and staring at his toes? Or he's laughing at what the, the other candidate said because it was funny. He's smiling and nodding. That's who I want working for me, right? It. So it's those things. Uh, Charles Schwab, the CEO of Charles Schwab, when it's an executive hire, he takes them to a, a local diner, okay? And he'll take you to, to that local diner. And the diner already knows to do this. Everything you order, you being the candidate, they screw up. You want scrambled eggs, they bring you pancakes. You want ketchup, they bring you Tabasco sauce. And to see how you handle that situation, how you treat them, how you, you know, how well you're engaging with him. And and so those are, you know, little things about, you know, making it ungameable, right? Because you have no idea and seeing how you react under pressure and how you treat people. 
I actually uh, had the inside scoop of a very successful airline. And the CEO of that airline told me firsthand, she said, yeah, there's been people who have moved here to our city. We put them up in a hotel for eight weeks while they're going through our training. And at the end of the eight weeks, we didn't offer them a job. Why? Because when they were checking out of the hotel, they were rude to the front desk lady at the hotel. And therefore we said, sorry, you're not going to be employed there. Yep. Now, yeah. Okay. My final question. So uh, your two favorite words are give more. Why? Uh, well, I think you're the poster child for this. When give more is, is I wish I can get them tattooed on my forehead if it wouldn't look too silly, but I, if you want to build long-term sustainable relationships with anyone at home, neighbors, employees, you name it. We got to find a way to give more. And, and I think we live in a very cynical society today and meaning that, you know, our agreements, our contract, our arrangement says you have to do A, B, and C, and I'm supposed to do X, Y, and Z. But too often we wait to make sure the other person does what they say, and then we do what we say. And so what I try to teach myself, my staff, my three boys is do X, Y, and Z first and throw in W even though W wasn't expected, even though it wasn't part of the contract, always give them more than what's expected. And what that means is don't wait, don't keep score, and don't have a good memory. Meaning don't remember three years ago when someone didn't do, don't let that ruin it for you. You know, giving more is one of the, the most rewarding things you can do. And that means if you borrow someone's pickup truck to move furniture, you give them that truck cleaner and with more gas than how they gave it to you. That's giving more. That's great. I have to tell you, well, I'm interviewing you and I'm, I'm thinking that the listeners are picking up on this. Every time I ask you a question in answering the question, you somehow massaged me. You somehow threw a compliment back at me before you answered the question. Do you realize that you're doing it? Wait, listen, I, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever told you, but you are have always been a great mentor of mine and inspiration. Um, you know, back when we were starting off, in the early 90s, listening to master's tapes, getting, I don't know what it was back then, a, a call or an email and, and being asked to be on it was like, oh my God, being on Larry King, like what a, a you know, I've listened to these every month in my, oh, back then it might've been the beta drive and then the cassette and then the CD and, you know, it was amazing. And we've been friends ever since and you've always been generous and always been motivating and inspiring. So you know, our relationship has meant a lot to me. Thanks, John. I, I feel the exact same way. This, I, I knew it would turn out this way. Even though we can't physically be face-to-face, which is how I always love to do these interviews, uh, I just knew it would be this easy and this magical. Congratulations on what you're doing and these messages that you're sending out. Gosh, just so relevant today. They become more relevant to me because I have a little girl. Everything's more relevant when you become so a dad. Fair. So I, I always think in those terms now, but knowing that, that, that you're a dad too, and you have the credibility of being a successful speaker and a successful business owner, and you take care of your people, and you have that staff and, or that team and that customer loyalty, all of that just adds to the overall message that you deliver. So John, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Wynn. My pleasure. Everybody enjoy this interview. Thanks, John. You're the best. <laughs>